It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast, featuring one of the many trusted recruiting, marketing, and branding experts at Tudor Collegiate Strategies. Let's start the show. All right, Coach. Welcome into another episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. My name is Dan Christensen. I'm guest hosting today. I'm the Director of Marketing and Media here at Tudor Collegiate Strategies. I've been working with Dan Tudor here for almost five years now. Uh, I'm a former college basketball and tennis coach at the Division Three level. And I'm going to be joined by two of the other experts here at Tudor Collegiate Strategies. Paul Nimitz-Carlson, who's our Director of Client Success, he works with the college coaches that we support and uh, provides them with some different resources throughout the year, um, different strategies, different advice, helps with content creation and planning and all kinds of stuff to, to help our, our clients win in recruiting. He is a former college hockey coach for over 20 years, different division levels. He's been a head coach, assistant coach, director of operations. He's kind of done it all within a college program and a lot of recruiting experience. I'm also joined by Mike DeVilbis, who is a former college basketball coach, uh, coached women's basketball for about 30 years, different division levels, and he has a, a lot of experience as well. He works uh, as the regional recruiting coordinator here at TCS, uh, working with coaches mostly in the Western region. And today we're going to be talking about a question that came up. We put out a poll in our College Recruiting Weekly Newsletter. Uh, which, by the way, if you're not subscribed already, it's free. Go to dantutor.com, subscribe to the College Recruiting Weekly Newsletter. It comes out every Tuesday morning. We put in a lot of resources, articles, podcast episodes, uh, and different things. And, and in a couple weeks ago, we put a poll, and we asked college coaches, which of these is your biggest recruiting frustration right now? And we gave them four different options they could choose from. And we had about a 1,000 coaches respond. And it was a little surprising. We actually had a pretty much an even split uh, four ways for all the different options. And so instead of picking the one that was the most selected and, and focusing on that, we're going to talk about all four because clearly they are relevant problems that coaches are dealing with. And so if you are a college coach listening to this, chances are at least one of these is a frustration for you right now trying to recruit in the fall. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through these four options and talk about why these are frustrations, why these are challenges for coaches and give you some some ideas, some strategies, some advice for how to how to improve, how to get through these and how to set yourself up for better success in the future. And so we'll get right into it. And the first option that we gave coaches was that recruits that used to be interested aren't responding anymore. And so maybe you've been talking to them for uh, you know over a year or you just started even in the spring or summer. And they were very engaged, responding to your emails, responding to your texts. And now all of a sudden, you're not really hearing back. And it's frustrating. And so I want to I kick that out to you guys, uh, Mike and Paul. Why are some of the reasons that this time of year is a time where we're getting a lot of these kids that used to be so engaged kind of ghosting us and, and not responding to, to coaches? Uh, yeah, I'll share a few. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's so interesting about recruiting is sort of the assumption of college coaches that there will be an endless supply of interest in their program, right? And and that 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 the interest continues from the prospect side, um, you know, throughout this process. And, and the reality is that we continue to find that you have to give them reasons to stay interested. And so whether you have not provided ways for them to keep getting interested, whether you're, you're, you haven't gotten to the point where you've shifted from being a mass recruiter Kind of sort of having a marketing message to many um, into a, a sales expert where you're sending a message just to a single person, right? And personalizing that 
conversation. Um, that that tends to be what happens when people lose focus in this process. Um, the other two things that I always think are interesting is that somewhere the process a lot of times stops because kids don't think you you're, as a coach or you as a program or you as an institution are good enough for them, whether it's their hopes, their dreams, uh, and and how they're, what they're believing is going to happen in college athletics. And so if you haven't sort of mastered that question, are you good enough for them? Um, their parents, their status, uh, your level, all of those things are, are really important. Um, and then the other thing, just thinking about how this happens, and we're talking about fall, is that one of the reasons it's ghosted is because they've started to get serious about certain programs, not yours, but others. Um, and the idea is when they start the process, they can manage a lot of volume and a lot of different institutions being involved in their recruiting process. And as the fall goes and coaches are asking them for September 1st, September 15th, October 1st, October 15th, November 1st, which are traditional days when coaches ask for commitments or decisions, um, they're starting to make them. Um, and they're a little bit anxious on their side to tell you that you aren't one of their top options. And so if they don't have to share the bad news with you, um, they can move along and still have the enjoyable parts of the recruiting process. So, so I think sort of those are the pieces, right? They don't think you're good enough. They've, they've gotten serious with somebody else and, and just don't have, are anxious to have that conversation where they let you down. Um, and then the other piece of just, just as, as you go through this process, maybe that doesn't feel personal enough for them. You haven't quite made your pitch as a coach, how to, that you actually want that individual um, from the idea that you want some individuals to come and join the program. I think one of the things uh, coaches are always looking to do is, is move on. You know, I, I think uh, you don't have a lot of time to be wasting recruiting kids that aren't coming. And so when kids start not responding to you, I just was talking to a division three coach the other day, you know, what should be my response? One of the things you can say to them when they just all of a sudden disappear is, uh, so I've reached out three or four times, you know, a short text message. It says, I've reached out the past three or four times, haven't heard back from you. Uh, can I assume that you are not interested and that you're going to move on and have, have another choice that you're going to make? That will that will invoke a response. What you're wanting as a coach is a response because you don't want to be wasting a lot of time recruiting somebody that's not interested. I think one of the big mistakes that coaches make, <clears throat> made them all, myself recruiting is our list gets too big it gets too big we keep adding to it without deleting someone off you add somebody to it somebody's got to come off and um i always felt like i would never recruit anybody that couldn't start for me and if i had four spots i was going to recruit my list would rarely be more than nine or ten rarely and i think keeping a short list like that forces you and I think coaches operate better in that environment because it forces you to get uh, a response from the kid and that kind of a text back to them can be really helpful uh you need to move on you want your most coaches good coaches are wanting to move on they're not wanting to drag this out because it's just as we get who we're supposed to get I've always believed that in recruiting you get who you're supposed to get you just want to know in the process especially like Paul just said in the fall Hey, let's move on. I'm okay. There's other people. This let me know, you know. And I think that kind of a direct text can uh get a response that you want from them. And if they say nothing, then you know, move on. Yeah, I think I think that uh, that idea of like telling them what you assume they're thinking, it gives them either the 
the freedom to agree and tell you, yeah, coach, you're, you're right. I'm not interested. And then, you know, you can move on, like you said, or it might give them that shock of like, oh man, coach thinks I'm not interested. I actually am. I just have been bad at responding for the last you know few weeks or months. And uh, maybe there's a dozen coaches talking to me and I'm just really trying to figure out like who's actually serious. And this coach seems like they're pretty serious about me. And so, um, yeah, that kind of text can help. Yeah. So. And if they don't want you to move on from them, like you just said, if they don't want you to move on, they're going to respond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are, what are some other? Perfect. Yeah. They're just, just for me, clearly, sorry to interrupt it. It clearly sparks an idea about what we continue to share with coaches, what we believe philosophically as an organization that there often sometimes aren't responses because they don't know what to do. Right. Like, and I, I think the reality of, of adding some clarity and giving them clear direction in this process, especially as the process starts to get real in the fall, they, their guidance counselors asking them to apply to school, their coach is asking them where they're going to go. They're getting prepared for this week to sign NLIs. Um, I mean, all of those factors are normal steps that happen in the process that are becoming really real and becoming really timely. And, and so I think if you don't tell them what to do and what to do next, there's only so many times you can send them um, a random flyer for a picture of something on campus, right? Like, I think you have to really kind of say, so this is what happens next. This is where you go. And this is what I'm expecting from you to, to really demand some responses. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a big problem this time of year is that there is just a lot of noise that they maybe didn't have, you know, six, six months ago where um, now they're hearing from lots of coaches and there's lots of schools, just a general admissions departments reaching out and um, there's a lot coming at them and they're you know, having a hard time processing it. And so looking for, looking for that guy, but also just looking for who's, you know, who's different, what's different about all these schools. They all kind of sound the same. And like you said, they're all doing, they're all sending me the picture of campus and they're all checking in with me. They're doing those things. And so I think differentiating yourself now is is so important. What are, what are some of those things that coaches can be doing to really differentiate just what they're communicating and how they're communicating with, uh, with these kids, that's going to help them kind of step away, step out of this, this noise of just a bunch of schools that just kind of all, all are doing the same thing right now. What's going to help them? Uh, building that trust, being consistent, being consistent, telling your story. I think this is something that their program is absolutely the best place for that kid. And I think when you have doubts about that, it gets really hard to tell your story. Who are you? What's your identity? What do you stand for? What's your? What do you want your program? What do you want people to say about your program? You need to be able to articulate that clearly. This is what you get from being here. You know, you're going to walk away from something you've given your life to since you were 10. How do you walk away from that? By knowing that you gave every th- single thing you had, every drop of blood you had. That's the only way to walk away. It's one of the things I would tell them. No regrets. You'll never look back from my program and think he could have got more from me. And that's the only way to be able to walk away from it. That's an example of a story. You've got to be able to tell your story. And that attracts people or doesn't attract people. But we don't want to be for everybody. We ain't for everybody and don't want to be. And I think being able to articulate that and build those connections that way, I think, are really powerful. We're asking sort of beyond the story idea, what are the things that create responses, right? Like what are things that drive them? Um, And one thing we we continue to find is as they respond, if you keep providing things of value, right? Whether that's support through the process, whether that's a specific opportunity in their program, whether that's a guarantee, an admissions guarantee, a scholarship, a financial aid guarantee, um, whether you provide 
sort of a connection to their personal dream, right? Um, or, or or really talk about things that they value and things that they like specifically. I think continuing to provide them with things of value that are valuable to the actual individual you're recruiting, uh, it, it time and time again creates responses. I mean, I think we have some basic things, consistency and clarity, but providing things of value of why they should want to be a part of your program, I, I think is essential to getting responses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's some things that we, you know, we talk a lot about just in general for recruiting of how you can be successful. And I think especially when you're in these times of, you know, a kid hasn't been responding, like what can we do to to get things back on track and figure out where they're at? Two things that stand out to me, I think, you know, we talk about sending letters to kids, sending letters home. You know, again, this is a time where they're getting, there's a lot of noise. It's probably mostly in their email inbox and their text inbox. They're just getting you know, a lot of stuff there. Kids aren't getting a lot of letters. You know, they might get some, you know, pretty visible, you know, junk mail or mass mailings out there, but, you know, personal letters from, from actual people, like they're not getting many of those. And so I always tell coaches, like, that's something that you can do to send out kids are going to look at that and they're going to appreciate it. And it's going to be, it's going to be very different from what they're getting on a day-to-day basis. And so again, we're trying to figure out how can we differentiate ourselves? How can we show that value? Hey, I'm a coach that took the time to send you a letter that probably no other coach did because um, we know that coaches aren't doing them much. Um, so things like that. And the other thing is just the parents being able to connect with the parents uh, and make sure that they understand one, that you're even recruiting their kid. Cause we find that happens all the time when coaches don't talk to the parents, we find out the kid wasn't telling the parents that they were even being recruited by the school. And so we're wondering, you know, what happened if we have a relationship with the parents, we can go to them and say, Hey, you know, I haven't heard from, you know, your son, your daughter in a few weeks. I'm curious, you know, if they're still interested in us and, and what are they thinking and, and that kind of thing. If you don't have that relationship, it's hard to hard to do that. But if you can reach out to the parents, that can be a way to kind of restart the conversation because now they're probably going to go talk to the athlete and say, hey, I heard from, you know, Coach so-and-so today. Um, and that might be able to re-engage things or, you know, like Mike said, it might get us the no, which is which is OK as well. You know, we can get the no and and move on. So can I add something to that, D.C.? Yeah. Uh, Mandy said something the other night on her webinar, uh, you know, recruiting made simple about that very thing about um when you make your first phone call, how do we get engaged with the parents? When you make your first phone call at the very end of that phone call, simply ask, Hey, is your mom or dad there? I'd like to introduce myself and tell them why, you know, tell them a little, tell them the same thing you just told the kid, tell them why you're recruiting them, where you saw them, how you see them in the program and that you're going to recruit them. Is that okay with, with you? Let them know there's a definitive start to the beginning of this recruiting process. I am recruiting you. It's a powerful statement. And I think uh, she made a great point. I think that's really important, but that gives you a chance in the first phone call to connect. That's a way to connect with the parents um, right away. Yeah. And I think it's important from the beginning, but if you're sitting here right now and it's, you know, November when we're recording this and you're like, man, I got these kids that I've been talking to for like a year now and haven't even talked to their parents yet. It's not too late. You know, reach out, shoot, shoot a text to the kid and say, Hey, I don't think I've ever talked to mom or dad before. Would love to, you know, introduce myself to them and see if they have any questions for me. Do you mind sending me their their cell phone number, their email address, and I can reach out? Um, do that right now, and then you know have that conversation with them and see, you know, where they're at. Obviously, if the kid's not responding, it's tougher to do. Um, so we would have, you know, liked to do that earlier. But if we can have that contact info, if they filled out a questionnaire, you know, for your school, they might have have the parents' contact info. Um, you know, reach out to them. So. Uh, we'll move on to the, the second option that we gave uh, for, for coaches of the biggest frustration right now. And it was, I'm having trouble getting recruits to visit campus. 
this is uh, you know a time of year when there's a lot of visits happening and um again coaches are struggling to get those kids that they really want to to come visit campus to actually make that make that choice and and do that um I guess first you know what what's what's kind of the challenge there what are some of the mistakes that coaches are making that's you know keeping them from getting those kids to come visit you know at this time well I think the first thing is uh you know, we talk about this all the time. Dan preaches this, preaches this, preaches this, is set a deadline, you know, or don't, or uh timeline, excuse me. Don't make deadlines, make timelines. And when you first set up a time, the very first phone call, this is how we believe that you set up timelines. In the very first phone call, when you're talking to the kids, you or the student athlete, you tell them at the end of the phone call, hey, listen, just so you know, here at blah, 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 in our program, we want to have our recruiting wrapped up by whatever your date is. Let's say it's um, February 1st, it's swimming. They want to be wrapped up by February 1st. And so you tell them in the first phone call, hey, no pressure, 10 months from now, we're going to go through this process, but I just want you to know we're going to wrap up by February 1st. So let's make sure, are you okay with that? Yeah, coach, that's that's no problem. Ten months from now, I can. So let's make sure we're getting everything done that we need to have done to be able to make for you to make a decision prior to February 1st. Is that all right? Can we do that? Yep. Coach, sure. So I think doing that right from the jump at the beginning really helps them know they're going to tell you they're out. If they aren't going to visit and they told you they know your deadline's February 1st. And it's it's a little bit before Christmas and they're not willing to set up a time to visit. They're telling you they're out. Good. You know to move on. You know, you're giving them just like we talk about giving them little hoops to jump through that give us. Uh, I'm not going to say the right terminology here, but little little wins, you know, along the way that tell us they're in, they're in, they're in. Well, we need some of those to tell us they ain't, too, you know, and one of those is said hey, they're not going to set up a visit and they know we're closing down and they know you're going to walk away February 1st, then they're telling you they're out. And I think that can be just as helpful like we talked about in the last segment. It's just as helpful. Yeah, it gives context. So, yeah. Um, you know, so so as someone who's been doing this for 25 years, you know, well, I'm thinking about people who answered this question, and I think it's a mindset problem uh, more than any more than anything, you know, and I, and I think it's the changing nature of recruiting and understanding what your student athletes are looking for. You know, I would say 25 years ago, there was this idea that ever you visited as many places as possible. Um, it was pre pre internet and the, the visit was your source of information. And it was your first ability to see pictures of what campus buildings looked like. It was the first opportunity to have somebody tell you what the financial aid process looked like at that school. It's the first opportunity to have somebody say, these are our academic programs, and this is a look at our chemistry lab, and this is a look at our, our athletic facilities. Those are all things that now happen before they even consider visiting, right? I, I think the volume of information that people collect before that um, is very different. And so instead of being a source of information, first impression, first step, the visit really for most of the people that you're recruiting is a confirmation of all the things they already know about your program. And it's it fills a very different role. And so as people talk about getting people to visit, I think those people are stuck in, I need them to get to visit so they know something about our school. 
I, I think the approach really needs to be, I need to really sell them on what makes our institution great, what makes our program unique and different, what, ma- what makes it worthwhile for you to spend your hard-earned money or, or your time, right? Time is a value as well, to come and see our school, right? Because I think as a globally, you would look at people looking at colleges, they're down to two, 2.3 visits a, a person, whereas maybe they used to do 10 to 12, right? And so, so knowing that there's going to be a limited number of visits in this process, you have to make your case and argue that this is why we should be those one or one or two. And I think that's the part that that's pretty important. Um, you know, my other thing that I've changed in my mindset over the last 25 years is the idea that all visits are good visits. That's not true. Um, you know, th- there is definitely such thing as a bad visit, right? An uncontrolled visit where you don't know what they're going to see or what they're going to find. A visit in bad weather, whether it's snow, rain, or extreme heat, I mean, th- those are things that can turn off your prospect uh, in in a second. That as a coach, so let's say you put in twelve months of recruiting somebody, and all of a sudden they come and it's a miserable day on campus, and they say, you know, snap decision, hey, this is not for me. Um, you know, th- <laughs> those those are things that that I think become reality about good bad visits. And the idea that it's not just visits that are important, it's good visits, ones where they know before they come what they're going to like about your campus, um, what it's going to feel like on campus, what their interaction is going to be with you, and and the ability for you to say, this is what the visit's going to be. And then once they leave, remind them, this is what you loved about our campus and our program. And, and so I, th- I think sort of thinking about visits, placing them not at the beginning of the process, but the middle towards the end. Uh, is one way to help improve that sense of, of visits um, and really sort of doing as much as you can to create a good visit pre-visit rather than hoping that you'll get them on campus and it'll be lucky and they'll have a great day. So I, th- I think your, your ability to control that and re- re- ability to influence is really important. Would you guys both talk a little bit about uh, your thoughts on why people are making decisions before a visit even happens anymore? Some of the stuff that you talked about right at the beginning of that, Paul, I think influences that a great. Yeah, deal. you know, uh, you know, my my sense is it it's a reality of sort of the way people are busiest. So I have a, a six year old and an eight year old. My eight year old plays travel hockey and six times a week. And so I'm thinking if I had somebody who was 18, how am I going to sort of take three days off to get my 17, 18 year old to campus to something, right? Like, I think just their schedules are so packed and so busy and people are asked to do more things. They've found different ways to create information, different ways to get those, Um, you know, for what I see quite a bit at the division one level is there's not a question about information, right? Like I think there's a, they have so much information. It's a question about what information are you sharing as a coach and what information is the person on the other side looking for? And can you kind of check off those boxes? Um, And because the visit has gone from being a impression to a confirmation, all the things that they used to get on the visit, they get online now, Um, whether it's social media, whether they get it on a Zoom call with a coach where they get on a virtual tour of campus, um, you know, very, it's very hard to, I was gonna say, it's very, very hard to hide what you are as an experience um, because of the volume of information out there. Whereas previously, I think people had to go visit because they had to meet the team. But at this time, they might not need to meet the team. They've seen all their social media. They might, they probably text back and forth with three or four of them. They probably know someone who's played with someone who, 
has an experience where they can kind of get an actual behind the scenes look. I mean, all of those things are happening just not on campus anymore. And so, you know, I, I think that's the piece where people can make decisions. And when we talk about it as a confirmation, 90% of people visit, or sorry, when they visit, 90% of the things they see are things they already knew and already liked. There's not a surprise of all of a sudden, oh, your your dorms, there were <laughs> six beds in a room and I only saw two in the showroom, right? Like, Or your gym, it only holds 50 people instead of the <clears throat> pictures online that show it showing 3,000, right? Like there, there's no surprises because of the amount of information. And, and that's why I think people are comfortable making visit, making decisions. Um, and especially I think when we talk a little bit about like communication methods, the ability to see a coach's face and have that sort of virtual Zoom conversation or Google Meet or, or, or whatever the platform you use, FaceTime, like, you know, I think there's a, you're not walking into a coach's office and wondering what they looked like for the first time. Um, and they're not wondering what you are when you show up on the first day of classes, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I think with with Paul there, that's not, it's not a discovery time for them to figure everything out. They've usually you know, they've gotten almost maybe even 90% of the way there to make the decision to come to visit campus. And so I think if you're a coach right now that you're having a hard time getting these kids to to visit, the solution isn't, let's keep hammering them with, hey, come visit, let's send them, you know, links to sign up to visit. Like, no, there's something that's keeping them from visiting. And so recognize that and decide, hey, I want to figure out what it is, you know, maybe something with academics, maybe something financially, maybe something with the distance. There's something maybe that could be holding them back that they're just, they're not sure about that they don't even want to visit yet because they're not sure about that yet. And so I think if you can, can ask some of those questions and, and try to relate to them and, and recognize that this, they probably are feeling this way. Let's pretend they are. And it's, you know, it's going to have a better, you're going to have a better conversation and, you know, you might be able to understand what they need to figure out to actually come visit campus. Or again, we might get to a point where they say, you know, coach, I think I'm just not going to not interested anymore because of this and this. And if we didn't, if we just kept hammering home, Hey, come visit, come visit. They may have just kind of not responded and we wouldn't have known. But if we actually dive in and have a conversation about it, we might figure it out and maybe we cross them off the list, but at least we know and hopefully sooner than, you know, we would have otherwise. Cool. Good. Any other any other tips for for coaches just in terms of like how to how to get those kids that you know right now that they've been recruiting and they want them to come visit campus how to you know make that happen? I always think if it's a if it's a really good kid, I think the reverse visit. I, I think there's there's a lost piece in terms of home visits are are almost phased out. I mean, I think just in terms of the timing of decisions and and especially at the Division One level where the 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 time from contact to commitment, it has really shrunk quite a bit. Um, we've lost sort of that personalization, that home visit piece. Um, but I think even just sort of seeing them in person, right? How do we figure out how to get to an event that they're playing in? You know, and I, this requires some work on the on the coach's part. You know, you, you can't necessarily do that for 3,000 athletes. You can't all of a sudden download a, a list of of 3000 swimmers from swim cloud and be able to go see them all, all personally. Right. But you, you have to have advanced in the process. So, you know, who, who is a fit for you, who, who, who's going to be a potential candidate for you, but it, how do you get out to their events? How do you get seen in their gym? How do you get seen at their sporting events? Um, whether it's in their sport or, or out of, out of season in some other sport, how do they know that you care more than the other coach? I, I mean, I think that's sort of the reverse piece 
um, whether it's an off-campus contact or whether it's a, just an effort. Um, the other thing I might say is, is sort of coaches. I, I think the the inability of or the reluctance to, to call a club coach or call a parent to see if you can kind of sort of sort through the details. Um, the 16, 17-year-old kid is probably not managing the calendar as well as, as everybody else. And they probably don't know the flexibility of everybody in the family and, and they don't even know the logistics. And so part of the reason they don't commit to a visit, and I, I'm sure Dan, you would, you would say this is they don't, they, they're not in control of it. I mean, they're not in control of the process, they're not in control of how they're going to get there. And they're not in control of the details. Um, and so whatever you can do to make it as easy as possible for them, uh, you know, I, I think it's is the answer in terms of how you get more people to visit, right? Show 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 more show you care more and make it as easy as possible for them to get to campus. Yeah, I think very few kids will make a trip to your campus without any help from their parents. Like there is, you know, they need to even at least get like approval from them to go. They maybe need a ride, they need them to book them a flight, they need them to like they need to figure that out. And so yeah, we've seen that work really well where go, you know, again, go to the parents and say, Hey, you know, we'd love to have you guys visit campus um you know for this reason and this reason we're really excited about your your son your daughter we'd love to have them come in this is why um do, you know there are a couple of dates that work for us do those work for you mom and dad can pull up their you know the calendar on their phone and say actually yeah they do let's let's pick this date whereas if we go through the athletes sometimes it's hey did you talk to your parents oh no i forgot last night i'll, I'll talk to them again you know i'll talk to them today they don't you know we have to reach back out remind them um, and sometimes it just takes a lot longer. And so I think if you can go directly to the, the source, that's, that's going to plan it all. I think that helps. Um, the other thing is, I think what Mike said about setting a, a timeline, um, I think that's, that's helpful. If you don't have that already, I think that's something you need to do now to help them understand. And it's not too, you know, it's not too late to do that. You can like, like Mike said, you could still stick with, you know, beginning of February, if that's what you wanted. Um, just as an example, it gives them context. Like if, if, if they don't have that timeline of when is this coach going to be done recruiting? Well, you know, I might, I might just make my decision in May. So why not just visit campus in April? And, you know, it's November now. I got plenty of time to do that. If that coach's timeline is, Hey, we're going to be done in the beginning of February. I probably actually need to visit in like December uh, or January at the latest. So I can make my decision. Um, It gives them that context. And, you know, we talk all the time about ask when you're ready to hear a kid say, yes, ask, ask them if they feel like they're ready to commit. And it's, you know, you don't only do that after they visited. You can do that before they visited campus. And what that might do is that might prompt them to say, oh, all right, I wasn't sure how serious coach was about me, but they asked and maybe the first coach that's asked me to be, you know, if they feel like I'm ready, I'm not ready yet, but I need to visit campus to feel ready. And so now I'm going to make that happen. It kind of gives them that little kind of kick in the butt to make that, make that happen and, and get things going. Coach, did you know that Tudor Collegiate Strategies works with over 750 coaching staffs from all division levels, all sports, from all over the country? It's true. We help them create, manage, and execute their recruiting message for the prospects they really need. And we can do the same for you. Email us at dan at dantutor.com so we can explain how it works. Let's talk, Coach. And now, back to the show. I like what Paul said. I, I like all that. I think one of the things that Paul said was uh, do something nobody else is doing. You know, how do you prove to them? I, I love asking for a verbal commitment. I like being a first one. I love doing that before the visit. You know, ask for a verbal, not just make an offer, but go through that four-step process that we teach about closing and how you ask for a verbal commitment. But I, I think one of the things you can do is I will disagree a little bit. I think a home visit's an awesome way because not a lot of people are doing it anymore. 
if that's your strength. There's a lot of coaches that are terrible in the home. They should never do a home visit. And there's some coaches that are really good doing home visits. You got to know your strengths. You got to know your wheelhouse and what you're good at. Another thing I think is really important is go watch a high school practice during a season and it's your season. Like if you're a basketball coach and you take a day away from your team to go watch that kid play, make sure they know that. But also you're the only one that's going to do that during a regular season. Uh, little things like that, that I think uh, can go a long way, yeah. a long way, but know your strengths. I think play to your strengths, do things you're good at doing. I, I actually think the home visit is great. I, I just, you know, as a, as a concept, it's disappeared a little bit with the, no question, with, you know, and I, I think to bring it back, like you said, a, as a, as a one-off, as a something that no one else is doing to show that you're invested, not just in the individual, but sort of their, their full experience, um, you know, and knowing, and knowing their family. So. Cool. Well, the third, the third option that we gave coaches about a frustration for recruiting right now is just that I'm, I'm too busy to put enough attention into recruiting. Um, this is a hard time because I think coaches are, you know, they're either in season if they're a fall sport or they, you know, sometimes they're, you know, spring sports are, are practicing, winter sports are getting going. There's a lot going on. Um, whereas maybe in the summer, you know, it was a little bit more relaxed. And so now coaches are having trouble finding the time to, to put enough work into recruiting. Um, what are, what are some things that, you know, with, with recruiting when they are able to do it that you feel like coaches kind of make mistakes of, of wasting time doing this when it comes to recruiting that might help them to not feel, you know, feel like they can make more out of the, the time that they do have. Go ahead, Paul. Sure. You know, one of my favorite shared collegiate coaching stories is uh, one of my, one of my good friends is also a, a college head coach. And he said, you know, that other coach in our, our department is just banging his pots and pans. Um, and I said, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he said, I'm just making a lot of noise in recruiting in the copier, making 3000 copies and sending out 3000 letters to people all over the country and, and just hoping that 10 of them come, um, you know, the, the recruiting for show or the, visible piece of, Hey, I'm doing work, I, I think is what often gets people in trouble. Um, you know, they're sort of saying, I have to do this at a high volume. I have to do it. So everybody knows that I'm recruiting. Uh, and, and my quickest thing is, is the ability to better identify who you're recruiting and who you might get, um, is, is one of the best time savers there is like understanding, you know, financially who is in the ballpark for, for your institution, right? What demographic groups, are going to be able to afford your institution? What type of students are going to be able to get through the admissions process? And what type of athletes are going to see your level as the appropriate level? You know, I think if you spend all this time recruiting somebody who is sure that they're going to get a full scholarship to a division one institution, and you are a division three institution that costs $68,000, um, you're in a different conversation, um, you know, with him and you're in a different conversation with schools. And so I think understanding who you're recruiting, whether they're a good fit for your school and you can spend more time personalizing your story, I think is one of the best time savers there is. I think if you're going to be a college coach, uh, you, you have to understand, uh, you have to understand first and foremost, that the recruiting is the lifeblood of your program. If you don't like, I used to get a kick out of coaches telling me they don't like recruiting, then you should go back and coach high school because you aren't going to get to coach very long if you can't freaking recruit. Because that play four down, it works a lot different when one kid's shooting it versus another. And I think your ability to be able to attract really good players to your program 
regardless of your situation. And everybody in college is in different situations. I, I, I've always gotten a kick out of coaches that are in the best absolute situation they could ever be in recruiting in the conference. And they're in the top of the conference every year. Very little to do maybe with their ability to teach and coach, but it's because of the situation they're in and their ability to get players. Maybe they're just great recruiters, but you got to be able to recruit no matter what your situation is. You, It's so easy in recruiting to say, well, we don't have this. We don't have that. We don't have this. Find a way. Um, the guy that I coached with at, at Lewis Clark State who won 13 national championships in baseball, World Series championships taught me when I was really young. He said, I was whining about someone. He's cut it out. Find a way. He said, you got to understand right now what's important now. And if you can't decide what's important now and figure out what really works, like Paul touched on it, you know, banging pots. We don't spend, you can't spend any time banging pots and pans. You have to be able to understand what is truly important right now with each kid and what they need, and who you really want, you've got to be able to make those decisions. Um, you have to fully, fully embrace recruiting. You, you, otherwise, you, you're, you're going to be busy. You're going to be busy. If you're going to do it right, you're going to be busy. So you better have a plan and a system. That helps you a ton. It, you don't go to practice without a plan. Well, I know some coaches do. Not very many. And not very many successful ones. So you better have a plan in recruiting. It drove me crazy for 30 years. I couldn't stand it. When I started working with Dan, I'm like, it can't be this simple. I was shocked, you guys. I was shocked. And it is. But you better have a plan. You better be able to understand what's important now. And you better know that recruiting is the lifeblood of your program. Because you're not going to get to coach college very long if you're not good at recruiting. Yeah, I think being being proactive, being able to plan, you know, especially for when you know you're going to be in season, like what can we plan that will allow us to be consistent, allow us to get this done when other coaches aren't? I think that's one of the biggest opportunities for coaches to stand out. You know, Mike, like you said, in season, a basketball coach going to watch a practice, you know, like there's not no other coach is going to do that. And so I think consistency in your recruiting message, you know, those kind of posting. Well, head coach. No other head coach is going to. Sorry, DC. Yeah, yeah. No other head coach. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, posting on social media, things like that, that, you know, you need to do and need to do consistently throughout the process. It dips for most coaches when they're in season. And so having a plan, being proactive, creating, creating content and creating stuff that you're going to use in the future. I think all that kind of stuff helps. And going back to Paul's point, I think prioritizing too, like your, your recruits, like what's, what's important now and, and not just trying to do things on a volume level. There's a volume aspect to recruiting, but you need to prioritize, you know, you can't just, you can't treat every recruit the same. And um, that's where I think where coaches end up wasting a lot of time because they look at it and like, you know, I've got these 300 recruits on my list and I just don't have time to stay on top of all of them. Well, you shouldn't be, you know, spending, you know, time to stay on top of all 300 equally. Um, you just don't have time to do that. But also when you do that, the ones that are going to you know, be responding back to you and taking up your time are going to be those bottom, you know, bottom hundred on that list. And those aren't the ones that you're excited about. And so, make having groups i feel like i'm talking about that a lot with with clients right now is like you know pick your you know depending on the sport you know pick your top 10 here's my top 10 i'm gonna make sure that these top 10 i'm sending them a message every week i'm getting on the phone with them you know every other week every three weeks or something like that and then 
you know, the rest, maybe I only send them something once a month. And if we lose them, we lose them. But, you know, trying to keep them engaged, I, I don't want to sacrifice, you know, doing everything the same for everyone and sacrifice those top kids. And then again, that's where you think it feels overwhelming because we're looking at these giant numbers and, and doing a lot. And how long your I'm list sure is? To, I'm, yeah, I'm sure we talked to a lot of coaches. You know, one of the things that's so interesting that has changed is, the kids who are recruiting you, right? Like you're going, there's a big event coming up in your sport this weekend and a thousand emails come into your inbox and the overwhelming feeling comes from, do I have to reply to all of those people? Um, you know, that's where we talk about time for what's well, time for yourself, time, time for recruiting. I think the, the volume of incoming mail um, has increased as well. And so I think knowing, really knowing who you are and what you want is the best approach to it. Yeah, I think a lot of coaches make a mistake just having too big a list. I really do. I, I, I having a long list, it ain't. And it's not the the length of it; it's the depth of it. How good is this list? You know, I think that's well. So what's important now? It's being able to. Are they kids? Like Paul said, it's a different conversation. Are these kids kids that I can get? Are they good enough to help me win? And if those, the answer to those two things is no, move on. They shouldn't be on your list. They can't help you win and they're not in your wheelhouse. You know, they're not a fit. You need to move on. Is it, is a good lead into your next question? I, I know it is. My next question? Yeah. What's, what's that question going to be? Well, just the, no, just the last, the last question. Oh, the last, not the fourth the option. The last fourth option. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so my recruiting pool is too small and I can't grow it. That was the fourth option we gave. And, and again, just as many coaches said that was their problem right now um, as these other problems. So why why is it a challenge, especially this time of year? Like, why is it a challenge to for, for the coach that's on the opposite end and they have too small of a, a pool? What's what's the reason why it's hard now to, to add to that list? Well, I think recruiting, you got to recruit every day. You got to recruit every day. You've got to mine and go find and get out and talk to people. You have to communicate. You got to be on a phone. There's all the more your the bigger your network is, the more people are going to help you. The more people you have telling you about players, there's always players. There's always players. It's you got to go out and find them. You've got to be willing to get on the road and watch in the summer or during the season. You got to call people that you know, that you trust. Hey, is this kid, can I go, you got anybody you know about in your league? And um, I I just think you've got to recruit every day. You got to be out every day. And um, how do you know it's too small? How do you know it's too small? Maybe you got the right eight. If you got three spots open, you got eight kids on the list. Maybe you got eight and that's enough. Might be the right eight. That's where you got to kind of evaluate. I think what's important now if I got, like I said, the two things, they got through Can they help me win? And uh, do they fit in a program? And they fit our kind of profile of a kid that's going to come to school here at da, 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 whatever, you know. So as we talk about this, you know, I'm thinking about who are the coaches who respond to this. Dan, do you think they're those are the people who are looking for 2024s? Like so seniors in high school. And it is October 2023. Yeah, I would kind of assume that's where we're at. We're, we're recruiting current seniors and we're, you know, we need to get eight and we have none committed and we only have, you know, 10 in the pool and we need eight or something like that. So we need to get more. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's such an interesting thing. You're uh, always always in a panic. Is is your list big enough? I was at a Hall of Fame induction for one of my former players the other day. We're just talking about the experience of recruiting uh, her class. We had 17 seniors graduating on our team who had all hosted three national championship games and won two. And it was February, and we had one fully committed paid deposit. Uh, I think we ended up with 15. So it, it all worked out because we were actively engaged the whole time. But you're always a feel that you're never going never gonna to have enough, never going to get them. Um, and, and I think sort of some of the mindset of those people who are now talking about October 2023, they're encountering a student who has been doing this process a little bit longer than than maybe they would have 10 years ago. So now instead of starting in their September of their senior year, that student athlete, that recruiting started you know, at the end of sophomore year. Um, and so they've been being recruited for two years and the list seems like it's so small because people don't want to add and don't want to re- sort of respond to, to your reach out because at this point, if they're going to add you to their process that's been going on for two years, it has to feel better and it has to be better than what they're already looking at. And so I think that the coach who offers the same, the coach who offers something that just, is a similar version, but not as good as what they're already looking at, is having a hard time adding them to their actual recruiting list and people who are there actively recruiting. So I think thinking about what somebody might be looking at, maybe you get some information from a parent or information from a club coach or what schools are going and thinking about how do I get into that pool by saying, this is what we have at our institution that's better, whether that's an academic our reputation, whether that's a, a U.S. News and World Report ranking, whether that's a, a a tuition a tuition or an average tuition cost or a scholarship opportunity or or even a level that you play at, right? It's got to it's got to provide something that is enticing and exciting for that person to be able to grow the list at the end of the process versus growing the list. Everyone can be on the list at the beginning, right? Like kids like kids like adding, kids like being communicated with and being told how great they are, but at the end to be able to continue to add, to continue to find people, you have to provide something as a coach and as a program that is better than what they're already looking at. Yeah, I think we're at a time where, like you said in the beginning, especially, it's kind of fun. Like you have coaches reaching out to you, you can respond back. And now it's kind of, for a lot of kids, if they haven't made a decision already, it's starting to kind of weigh on them a little bit more of like, all right, we're getting near the end of, you know, I'm trying to finish off my senior year, but I'm also you know, trying to make this big decision. And to, yeah, to have to start over and say, all right, I got to get to know this, this new coach. I'm going to have to, you know, have this communication with them and just kind of get to know them. I don't really got to figure out if I can trust them. And then, you know, eventually maybe make a visit to campus and fill out their application. I do all these things. Is it worth my time? If like you said, if it's just the same or even worse than what I'm already looking at. Um, and then, you know, we have the numbers. Uh, there was a study that Jeremy tears did with uh, niche.com. I think last year or something where they asked when kids start the, the recruit, they start looking at, you know, schools and, 98% of kids are looking before the summer. They start looking before the summer going into their senior year. So, you know, we're in November right now. That was, you know, what, four, four or five months ago um, that, you know, 90, at that point, 98% of kids had started. And it's like 35% start before the summer going into their junior year. Um, so the sophomores that you, that you might be talking, you know, pretty soon in a few months, you know, the 30 of the sophomores are going to already start looking. So I think it goes to, being able to start earlier so you don't get into this this problem in the future um and then uh you know being able to to you know weed kids out through you know your questions and and you know we talked about how you know how many kids do you actually need on your list 
try and keep track of that. You know, if you're a young coach and this is your first or second year, you're going to have to start collecting some of that data. But if you can go back and look, all right, last year we had, we started with, you know, a hundred kids in our, our list. And that was like the big total number we had, you know, 20 of those kids actually visited campus. Um, you know, what, however many, you know, applied, however many got in and, and how many commits did we get, you know, figure out what those numbers are. So you have an idea of, all right, if I need to get five kids, I need to have this many kids probably visit campus. I need then to get that many kids to visit campus. I need to start with a list that's kind of this big, or at least at some point get to a list that big. So you have an idea because you might not know, like Mike said, you might be actually be okay. Like you might be at a time where I don't really need to add kids. I just need to really focus on these kids. Um, or we might be in a spot where we're like, all right, we actually do need to add a lot of kids to our list and, and focus on that. But um, yeah. I think a mistake people make, DC, if I can tail off on that, is they start recruiting kids that can't help them win. You know, they panic and then they start recruiting kids they know aren't good enough to play for them. And so we recruit this lower kid and then we we give up too quick on spending the time with those eight kids we had on our list that we know can help us win, you know, and just to fill out a roster. We don't want to get caught with nothing. You know, it's I think that's a mistake people can make, too, easily. Yeah, and I think that's a challenge for for a lot of coaches now. I think more more than ever, there's probably that pressure from especially some of the smaller schools that they they're they're just looking for numbers. That a lot of the you know, administration might not care how good you are, how much you can win. They need those numbers, and so I think that's where there is some of that panic for coaches of like I'm being asked to bring in the part of my job more even more so than getting the wins and wins. And, you know, they want the numbers. So um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's, that's tough, and that's going to even be bigger and more important as we go along here and the crunch starts coming more and more and people are fighting for the same students and it's going to become more of a challenge. So having that system in place, I think is really important having a plan and a system. And I think it's critical. Yeah. I think I your, no, go ahead, Paul. I, just, I, I thought your thing was great. I just, in terms of sort of understanding your own, numbers, right? Like uh, I did work at that institution that told us that we had to model our, our, our numbers and our pool on the admissions numbers, right? So, so in terms of inquiry, visits, application, acceptance, yield, you know, sort of the traditional numbers of, of any in academic uh, institution or in admissions office, right? In terms of how they, how they monitor kids. And so knowing that if you're doing the right things in recruiting, you're creating consistency, clarity, um, you know, you're, you're selling the right things, you're sharing the right communication strategies. Your numbers can be different, but your pool has to be reflective of, of who you are and what you're able to do. Um, because you may never win on price. You may never win on reputation. You may never win on location. You know, not, not everybody is, is going to go and play at Alabama, um, play on the football team. So I, I think understanding that you're recruiting for your program, who you are and how those numbers work, uh, that's directly related to what the size of your pool should be. And I thought you had a great point there. Yeah. And I think just, you know, just to kind of wrap up this, this one is just going similar to the first option of the kids that aren't responding. Like it's harder, you know, it's going to be harder to get kids to, to engage at this time because they are further along in the process, but things that we can do are the same, you know, make, make your reach out very personal, very individualized. If you're doing something super generic and just a mass reach out that doesn't really sound like you, and it's just kind of a generic information overload, that's not going to be what gets kids to gets kids to respond. Keeping it personal, making it individualized, but trying different things, trying things that are going to stand out. Uh, you know, again, sending a letter, 
they might be, that might be the first letter that they've gotten from a college coach, even though they're further along with a lot of other coaches, they might be starting to think, well, why, why haven't these coaches actually sent me a letter before this coach? I don't even really know this coach. And they took the time to do that, but these other coaches haven't. Now we're starting to kind of get in their mind of, of where we can bring some value. Um, you know, connecting with the parents, if we have that information and can reach out to them, if we haven't even talked with the athlete yet, it's okay to reach out to the parents and say, Hey, would love to recruit your, your son or your daughter would love to introduce myself to you first and just kind of hear about how the process has been going for them. Um, sometimes that can start the relationship off in a different way. So um, any, any final thoughts from you guys on any of any of these questions, or any of the things that we've kind of gone over today for coaches and, and what they can really be doing right now in the fall to, to really set themselves up for success, you know, with this, with this class. Well, I think today's signing day, right? I think when we're filming this, it's signing day in the fall, early period. Well, there's going to be some kids didn't get something they thought they were going to get. There's going to be some, there's going to be some movement and some people available right now, this time of year that you didn't think were going to be available. And I think being vigilant, being out, communicating, um, talking to people, I think is, you never know. You never know. Cause everybody thinks there's a lot of surprises around signing day. Yeah. You know, I, I would say, look at this pool. You know, my final thought is, is those are pretty common problems, no matter what, what time of the year, um, the, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about what are the challenges for our, for October kind of in, in, in recruiting seniors and understanding where they are. Um, but there are common problems and, and there are different solutions for, for different times of year. You know, I think over, overall, globally, we're thinking about how can you evaluate the right people, um, grow, you know, can communicate with the right people consistently show up and tell a great compelling story. And that those are the secrets. Um, recruiting is hard at every level. And, and I think if, if people are looking for help, we'd, we'd love to help them as an organization, I, but recruiting is hard. Coaches learn to love it when it, when it goes well. And uh, it's amazing to see those conversations that we're having with coaches on a daily basis where they're coming away feeling really good about what they're doing and how they're doing it. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. And, and coach, we'll put our uh, our email addresses in the show notes if you have specific questions for any of us. And you can always reach out at you know dan at dantutor.com with questions that you might have, follow up to what we talked about today. Check out our website, dantutor.com. Or we have our blog and you can check out more podcast episodes there. And I also wanted to to plug our text message community. Uh, we have a group of coaches that are in a free, free group of uh, that gets uh, texted recruiting advice, recruiting tips, strategies from Dan Tudor. Um, you can join that for free, 661-218-2166. All you have to do is just text join, and Dan Tudor will, will get you all set up with that, and you'll get some free free advice, free tips throughout the year uh, to help you out and uh, help you have a really, really strong class. College Recruiting Weekly is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2023 and 2024. To contact the host, email him at dan at dantutor.com. Also, remember to rate and review our podcast right now. Plus, tell your fellow coaches about the show. And stay tuned for the next amazing episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.